Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Carrie Antholis. This season of Jury Duty explores the criminal trial stemming from the tragic death of Ahmaud Arbery, a 25-year-old black man who was pursued by three white men, Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan, and was eventually shot to death by one of those men, Travis McMichael. With verdicts of guilty rendered against the three defendants, we continue our complete coverage of the trial from gavel to gavel. On a previous episode, we examined the testimony of Jeff Brandeberry, the officer who first questioned Greg McMichael at the scene of the killing of Mr. Arbery. Today, we take a look at the questioning of investigator Parker Marcy, who volunteered to go into Glynn County Police Headquarters on February 23, 2020, and there questioned Greg McMichael. Our exploration of Detective Marcy's interview of Greg McMichael is coming up after the break. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Prosecutor Linda Dunikowski begins the state's questioning of investigator Parker Marcy by establishing that he is an investigator with the Glynn County Police and, though he was off work on February 23, 2020, when he heard of the shooting incident, he volunteered to go down to headquarters and lend a hand, and there was tasked with questioning Greg McMichael. After quickly establishing Greg McMichael's familiarity with his co-defendant, William Roddy Bryan, Dunikowski uses investigator Marcy's testimony as a vehicle to introduce Greg McMichael's statements to Marcy into evidence in the trial. What we're going to do right now, Detective Marcy, is we're going to go through what Greg McMichael said about what Greg McMichael did on February 23rd, 2020. Yes, ma'am. All right. What did Greg McMichael say had happened that day, or what was he doing that day? In quoting him, he said, and I was out, I had my truck pulled up, backed up to the edge of my, my garage. I'm reupholstering the seat cushions on my boat. And I was using more or less the bed as a workbench. I'll quote him again. So I'm saying I'm spraying glue down and putting the padding down and all that kind of stuff. I don't know exactly at what point of, you know, the construction I was at at that particular time. But I look up and I see this guy hauling ass. All right, so at this point in time, what does he say about this guy hauling ass? Uh, he said, uh, I'll continue the quote, I'm, I'm not talking about a jog, I'm talking about a haul ass, like something's right on his ass chasing him. So what did he say about being able to recognize this person? He had seen two to three prior videos that Diego Perez had shown him. He uses the words of this guy breaking into or being or wandering around into this house. That's it's under construction. Prosecutor Dunikowski directs investigator Marcy to make Michael's clarification of which house he is referencing. Now, with regard to the guy that owns it, what's he talk about? Quoting the guy that owns it, I guess he's doing it himself because it's been in that state with no doors, no windows on it for well over a year now. I think the guy's a banker in Alma, and this is his second, or you know, it's like a vacation home for him, but he's in no rush to build it. 
We now pick up back where he's talking about what he did after he's seen the black guy running down the street. He says, well, I'm thinking he's either done something to somebody, somebody's chasing him, or, you know, he's, I thought, well, maybe somebody drove up and found him in their house or drove up to that particular house he likes to go into over and over again. So he doesn't tell you he specifically saw him commit a crime that day. Correct. What's he do? Uh, he runs inside of his house and okay. retrieves a, a three fifty seven Magnum. Does he talk to you about how he was able to recognize or think he recognizes Mr. Arbery as the guy from the construction house? Yes, ma'am, he does. Uh, quoting, uh, Mr. Michael says, yes, and he shows, me, he shows me what the guy looks like because I had never seen him. So I was, I had heard a description of him, or maybe I had seen him. Maybe I had seen him before he moved to Diego's. I don't really remember exactly, but nonetheless, he had a video that night. He said, you know, take a look at this and you can see the guy. He's, you know, roaming around in there. Okay. And then what did you ask? I asked him if the individual was picking up anything or going through anything. And specifically, what did he say? Uh, he says, and I'm quoting, you know, not that I recall. I don't think the guy has actually stolen anything out of there. Or if he did, it was, it was early in this process but it keeps going back there over and over and over again to this damn house. When you're asking him, was he picking up anything or going through anything, are you talking about that day or are you talking about what he'd seen on the videos? What he had seen on the videos. Okay. And he says he doesn't recall seeing him ever steal anything or pick anything up. Correct. All right. He said, I don't think the guy has actually stolen anything out of there. Is that what he tells you? Yes, ma'am. All right. And then did he go on to say, if he did, it was early on in this process? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so if he did, was he able to tell you that he had personal knowledge of any prior theft that Mr. Arbery had committed at the open construction site? No, ma'am, he did not. Okay. Did he give you dates? No, ma'am, he did not. Did he talk at all about a boat and stuff being stolen off a boat at any point in time? No, ma'am. The prosecutor here begins to plant the seeds of evidence to support her argument that Greg McMichael's decision to arm himself and then to pursue and detain Mr. Arbery was based on what she calls assumptions and driveway decisions. Where did he say he uh, ran? Uh, into his residence. All right. And what did he get out? A three fifty-seven Magnum. All right. And once he ran to the house and got his gun, he went to the truck. Yes, ma'am. What did he say the problem with the truck was? The, uh, his grandson's car seat is in the passenger side of the truck. Uh, he said, I'll quote him, um, but anyway, it's strapped in. It's a beast to get in and out, you know, processing. So I just opened up, sitting uh, up on top of this car seat like this, you know, I mean, my head, I'm looking down like this to the windshield. And does he indicate where the truck now goes? It mentions it goes down to the corner of Burford Road. That's where he is. He's going down. He's running down Burford. Dunikowski then guides Marcy to read Greg McMichael's statements regarding how he addressed Mr. Arbery when he and his son caught up with him on Burford Road. Does Greg McMichael indicate to you that Mr. Arbery's on the left-hand side of the road? Yes, ma'am. And is Mr. Greg McMichael indicating whether he's yelling at Mr. Arbery? Yes, ma'am. What's he yelling at Mr. Arbery? Stop, 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 stop. And then, what's he say that Mr. Arbery does? He says that Mr. Arbery puts it in high gear. Okay. And what did Mr. Gregory Michael say at that point once Mr. Arbery put it in high gear? 
uh, he stated to cut him off three times. All right. He just said, I said, cut him off, cut him off, cut him off. Yes, ma'am. All right. What did he say the guy did next? Uh, Mr. Arbery started running back the other way. Well, did he turn around first? Yes, ma'am. All right. Turn around first and start running back the other way. Yes, ma'am. Now, at this point, does Mr. McMichael indicate that where he is as far as being in the truck, out of the truck, or anything like that? He's out of the truck on foot. Uh, he was heading the same direction Mr. Arbery was now heading. All right. So, at this point, when he, the guy turns around and runs back the other way on Burford, Mr. Greg Michael's out of that truck and he's headed back down that way on foot. Yes, ma'am. So at some point, does he decide to get back in the white pickup truck? Yes, ma'am. And so what does he say specifically? Uh, he says, you know, quoting, so I'm not getting back in that front seat, the car seat, uh, so I jumped to the back. I don't jump anywhere. He doesn't jump anywhere. No. So what does he say he did next? He, um, so he, he says, okay, so I crawled my ass, my old cripple ass up into the back of the truck and All I can right. still see the guy down there. All right. So by the time he gets back in the truck, he can still see Mr. Arbery down there. Yes, ma'am. A quick reminder that the roads of the Satilla Shores neighborhood form an oval with the only two exits from the neighborhood at one end of the oval. Detective Marcy next reads the section of Greg McMichael's interview where he describes his son Travis driving away from Mr. Arbery on the neighborhood oval and then looping around the end of the oval back towards the neighborhood exits and then making a left turn on the first road that bisects the oval, a street called Holmes Road. And then where did he say they went? They went down Holmes Road. And did he indicate why they went down Holmes Road? He mentions that Mr. Arbery turned down Holmes Road. And at some point, does he indicate whether Mr. Arbery sees them? Yes, ma'am. And once he sees them, what does Mr. Arbery do? Uh, he turned and started running back. Um, he uses the words that way. Did you ask Mr. McMichael where Mr. McMichael tried to pin Mr. Arbery the first time? Yes, ma'am. Where did he indicate he tried to pin Mr. Arbery the first time? On Burford Road. As they're on Holmes Road, where is Mr. Greg McMichael? He says that he is in the back of the truck with the 357. All right. Now, specifically, on Holmes Road, in the back of the truck with the 357, what does he specifically say? Uh, quoting, he says, I said, stop, you know, I'll blow your fucking head off or something. I was trying to convey to this guy we were not playing, you know. Okay. Now, does he specifically indicate at what point he says this to Mr. Arbery? No, ma'am. All right, so you don't know where on Holmes Road it is that he says this to Mr. Arbery? No, ma'am. This is one of the more devastating statements made by Greg McMichael to his cause. It appears to demonstrate a mindset that McMichael presumed that, even as a private citizen, he had the authority to threaten deadly force against a non-compliant Mr. Arbery. Dunikowski has Marcy move on to McMichael's statement about the shooting of Mr. Arbery and its aftermath. All right, so I'm gonna to talk to you now about um, what Mr. Greg McMichael says happens next. All right, so once again, he's in the back of the truck with his weapon. What does he say he's doing? He says that he's aiming. Did he um, shoot? No, ma'am. Um, and after he heard the shots were fired, how many shots did he say were fired? He mentions two. And what did he do next? Uh, he gets out of the truck. He stated that he had a hip replacement so he doesn't jump anywhere, uh, that he eased himself out of the truck. Again, Dunikowski introduces assumptions made by Greg McMichael and moves on to identify problems inherent in the argument that Greg and Travis McMichael were trying to make a valid citizen's arrest. 
And at this point in time, did he indicate that he went and checked Mr. Arbery for a weapon? Yes, ma'am. Did Mr. McMichael indicate whether he had his cell phone with him? He stated he did not. All right. But he did call 911? Yes, ma'am. Whose phone did he have to use? He used Travis McMichael's phone. At this point in the interview, did you really start to talk to him about what was his intent with Mr. Arbery should he have actually stopped? Yes, ma'am. All right. And what was his intent? He said to hold on. To hold him? Yes, ma'am. Did he use the word arrest? No, ma'am. Did he tell you what he was going to be arrested for? No, ma'am. Did he use the word citizen's arrest? No, ma'am. Did he use the word detain? No, ma'am. So he's holding him. Did he tell you what he was going to hold him for? He was going to contact the county police. Okay, and do what? He was going to hold him for county police so that he could either be arrested or identified. I said, okay. He continues to come and, you know, check him out. Check him out? Yes, ma'am. Come and check him out? That's what he says? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So he's calling to have the county police come and check him out. And then what does he say? Uh, continue quote, I mean, you know, there was no doubt in my mind as to who this guy was. None, you know, having seen the videos prior. All right. So having seen the videos, he's making this identification of this man. Yes, ma'am. All right. Now, what else is he then talking to you about? The thing that was doubtful, not doubtful, but was, was certainly a driving factor in my mind, was that my son had a missing pistol. And I'm pretty certain this guy, well, I don't know for a fact, and I have no, no reason to think that he did it other than the fact that this guy's been doing this crap over and over and over. What does he say about Travis McMichael's stolen handgun at that point? He says, and quoting, yeah, I had never seen this guy personally before and didn't see anybody go to the truck that day and take his weapon. And finally, Prosecutor Donikowski comes to Greg McMichael's statement to investigator Marcy that offers perhaps the most powerful evidence of false imprisonment of Mr. Arbery by the defendants. Greg McMichael is talking about with you a lot of um, different crimes that he suspects Mr. Arbery had committed, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. Did he provide you with any specific details about the names, the addresses, the locations of these Crimes? No, ma'am. All right. But did he talk about break-ins? Yes, ma'am. Did he throw around the word burglaries? Yes, ma'am. He mentioned oh. burglaries, yeah. All right. Did he throw around, like, entering autos or doing stuff like that? Yes, ma'am. All right. Talking about Greg McMichael and what he specifically said as he was going and discussing with you what happened on February 23rd, 23rd of 2020, right? Yes, ma'am. And does Greg McMichael tell you, but anyway, in my mind, there's a good possibility that this guy's armed. That was my thought process, and my intention was to stop this guy so that he could be arrested or be identified at the very least. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And was that a, a quote from Greg McMichael about Greg McMichael's behavior and intention? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So now, did he indicate at this time what he thought the guy should be arrested for? No, ma'am. Right. Didn't say burglary? No, ma'am. Didn't say criminal attempt to burglary? No, ma'am. Didn't say trespassing? No, ma'am. Didn't say any crime whatsoever? Not at that time, no, ma'am. All right. And when he said, or to be identified at the very least, well, what did he, did he explain to you what he meant by be identified? No, ma'am. All right. So what else does he say? He says, and I'll quote, I'm yelling to him to stop. Said, we just want to talk to you. I think I said that at one point. Did he indicate he may have also said, 
get on the ground or whatever. Yes, ma'am. He did just prior to saying that his entire quote for this question is I'm saying stop. I may have said get on the ground or whatever, but I'm trying. I'm yelling to him to stop. Said we just want to talk to you. I think I said that at one point. And you said okay, and then what did he say? He said, but that didn't that didn't work. He wasn't he wasn't having none of that. All right, so at any point in time did Mr. McMichael indicate to you that when Mr. Arbery wasn't having none of that, they decided to stop chasing him? No, ma'am. Did he ever indicate to you that when Mr. Arbery wasn't having none of this, that he was just gonna go back home? No, ma'am. Quoting, of course, you know, it's pretty. Don't take a rocket surgeon to figure out, you know, that the guy was cornered. He was cornered like a, like a, like a rat. You know, he, you know, that's, that was his reaction. That was whose reaction? Mr. Arbor's. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full important safety information, visit juviderm.com. Prosecutor Dundikowski next hands the witness off to Greg McMichael's defense attorney, Franklin Hogue. Hogue continues his efforts to convince the jury that while Greg McMichael may have been unclear about some details, he was certain that Mr. Arbery had been in the Satilla Shores neighborhood with criminal intent and that Greg McMichael was right about that. All right, I want to talk to you about three topics that you've covered today with the jury. Uh, and let's start with the suspicions that you and Greg McMichael talked about that he had regarding uh, Ahmad Arbery, okay? Ms. Dunikoski asked you on direct during your interview if he used the words burglary in connection with his suspicions about Mr. Arbery. Remember that? Yes, sir. So you are interviewing Greg McMichael. He's saying to you, we were aware that there had been numerous entering autos and break-ins and such in the neighborhood going on for quite some time. That's what he said to you? Yes, sir. And of course, this guy was, what was on video was, I mean, logic tells you this guy may be the one that's doing it, right? Yes, sir. And he says to you, and you know, the first thing that comes to mind is this guy that's been breaking into this house down there that they got video, you know, may have been roaming the neighborhood and saw the thing. 
continue on, you ask him. So this is not just this month that's been going on, right? Yes, sir. He says, oh, this has been going on, interruption, and you say, last month, this has been going on for months? Yes, sir. And he says to you, four months, yes, right? Yes, sir. And you say, going back into 2019? Right? Yes, sir. And he says, oh, absolutely. Yes, sir. And you say, by a good bit? And he answers, yeah, yeah, so, so anyway, so now we've got a missing weapon and the possibility in my mind that the guy that's been breaking in down the road there may have, may have that weapon. That's what he's telling you he's thinking, right? Yes, sir. And you say to him, possibility, and that's, that's your subjective opinion? And that's right, that's what you asked him. Right? Yes, sir. And he says, that's my, just a, just a hunch, I was a cop for 30 years, you know. And you say, right. Yes, sir. And then he says, and, and then you're say, interrupt and say, was a hunch but a lead. Right? Yes, sir. And he says, right, exactly. Yes, sir. And you said, we've got that intuition. Now, by we, you're talking to him saying we police officers, not you and me personally, perhaps. but Correct, just law enforcement enforcement. in general. Yes, sir. We've got that intuition. And he says to you, exactly. Correct? Yes, sir. And you say, I'm on the same page as you, right? Yes, sir. There is a palpable awkwardness to Marcy's testimony here. Hogue is implying that Marcy and Greg McMichael are bonding over their perspective on McMichael's suspicions and that Marcy here is validating those suspicions. And then he says, all right, so I'm out there minding my own business, doing my upholstery job, and I look up, I hear it, I guess I hear it, I don't know. Anyway, I look up. Here comes this guy hauling ass, and he's told you the story now. He's that this is the first time through, but he goes through it a few times with you, right? Yes, sir. Um, and I mean, he's he ain't out for no pleasant Sunday jog. He's he's got it hooked up. That's what he said to you. Yes, sir. Like something's on his ass. I don't see anybody chasing him or anything, but I mean, he came out and I watched him. And of course, when he, when he came by, I got a good, really good look at him. Right? Yep. Yes, sir. And then he describes short pants. Every time we see him on the video, has short pants on, has black t-shirt on, but white t-shirt, he says. Yes, sir. Apparently correcting himself. And he's got short dreads, okay? So, I mean, it's the same guy. That's what he said to you? Yes, sir. He says, but he, referring to this person he suspects, who turns out to be Mr. Arbery, he keeps going back over and over and over again to this damn house. Plus, we've had numerous entering autos and other burglaries and thefts out of yards and that sort of thing throughout the neighborhood. Right? Yes, sir. So you know he'd be a prime suspect. 
And he's saying a suspect in his mind. He's telling you that that's what he's thinking. Yes, sir. Okay. He's telling you, but we got a missing weapon. We got a guy who breaks in, you know, this house down here. And it's probably, I think, if you'll check with them, I think there's other houses that they're pretty certain this guy's broken into as well, and entering autos. There's been all kinds of damn shit stolen. That's what he says to you. Yes, sir. And then you say to him, uh, we're about to dump everything that's ever happened in that neighborhood, right? Yes, sir. And dump mean investigate. Uh, go through our records system, yes, sir. Uh, and he says, yeah, and you say, and see if we, and then he interrupts you, and then he says, but anyway, in my mind, there's a good possibility this guy's armed. That was my thought process and my intention, and I know it was my son's as well, was to stop this guy so that he could be arrested or be identified at the very least. Yes, sir. Okay. Hogue then moves on to use Greg McMichael's statements to investigator Marcy to suggest that Mr. Arbery's actions were objectively incriminating. Now, the state also asked you if they ever stopped chasing and just went home where Mr. McMichael is telling you they are yelling at him to stop and, and Greg McMichael says to you he wasn't having none of that. In other words, it didn't look like he was going to comply and stop at all, right? Yes, sir. Alright. And Mr. McMichael says to you, you know, if he had turned around and said, hey man, I'm, you know, Joe. I live around the corner. And you know, I'm just out running. You know, it would have been a whole different ball game. He's telling you that? Yes, sir. It would have been a whole different ball game. And there was no doubt, especially, especially his actions. When we would get up next to him, I mean, you know, I was as close from here to the wall from him. I'm in the back of the pickup truck and you know, he's, he ain't, he has no intention of stopping. Yes, right? sir. Finally, Franklin Hogue seeks to cast doubt on whether Greg McMichael ever said to Ahmad Arbery one of the most incriminating statements McMichael himself told investigator Marcy that he had said. This is the last topic I'm going to cover with you. Yes, sir. The statement that Mr. McMichael said to you that the state brought out that he was in the back of the truck with his 357, right? Yes, sir. Where he says, I said stop. You know, I'll blow your fucking head off or something. I was trying to convey to this guy, we're not playing, you know. And then he says to you, well, the guy, I'm trying to think what happened next. It was a blur. What we see up on this board that you said earlier where the red bubble with the white X in it yes, sir. is the spot on Holmes Road where the truck was stopped and the encounter with Mr. Arbery occurred when the shooting happened. Yes, sir. Right? Yes, sir. And you said that's the only place on Holmes Road that you were aware from your interview with Greg McMichael that they'd had any contact with Mr. Arbery. Yes, right? sir. This comment 
about stop blowing his head off would have occurred right there. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, you're aware from the case that also right there at that same place, at that same time, Mr. McMichael is standing in the back of his pickup truck, his son's pickup truck, with a cell phone to his ear talking to 911 in those final seconds before the fatal encounter with Mr. Arbery. Yes, sir. You're aware of all that? Yes, sir. And you would agree, would you not, that if a person is remembering or trying to remember the exact words he said, that the best source to know what he said would be a recording of it? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. On redirect, Prosecutor Dunikowski zeroes in on two key vulnerabilities in Greg McMichael's narrative. The first relates to the authority upon which Greg McMichael believed that he was acting. He indicated that Mr. Arbery had no intention of stopping. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Did he ever explain why he believed, I mean, talk about Greg McMichael, did he ever explain to you why he believed Mr. Arbery had to stop for he and his son? No, ma'am. The second vulnerability lies in all of the terms of uncertainty and doubt used by Greg McMichael in his statements to investigator Marcy. So he's talking about he's laying face down, his right arm's under his body, and Mr. McMichael's thought is he's going after a weapon. Is that right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. But then he follows up with, you know, if he had had, had a weapon, he'd have probably used it earlier, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay. So We've got a probably there, right? Yes, ma'am. All right, so you saw Mr. Sheffield with his list of all that stuff, right? Yes, ma'am. All right, so page number seven, when we're looking at lines six through seven, we talked about Mr. McMichael saying, Diego had this guy, you know, the video, breaking into or being or wandering around in this house, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we've got all three of these kinds of things going on with wandering in the house, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. Mr. Ho came up and he talked about numerous entering autos and break-ins, and they said, logic tells you that this guy may be the one that's doing it. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we've got a may be the one, and he's talking about logic here. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so logic may be doing it. All right, so he's talking about, so now we've got a missing weapon and the possibility in my mind that the guy's been breaking in down the road there. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we got a possibility. And then you asked him, possibility, and that's your subjective opinion. Yes, ma'am. Okay. And then he says, well, that's just a hunch. Yes, ma'am. All right. So now we have a hunch. It says, well, we've got that intuition, right? Yes, ma'am. And he agrees with you, right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we've got intuition. All right. You went ahead and asked him specifically. Do you, so you see this guy out today, and he's hauling. What What are your thoughts? Yes, ma'am. And he's thinking he's either done something, or somebody's chasing him, or, you know, maybe somebody drove up and found him in their house. Yes, ma'am. Or drove up to that particular house he likes to go into over and over again. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so we have, like, speculation on four different things in that sentence, right? Yes, ma'am. All right. You asked him, is he picking up anything, going through anything? Yes, ma'am. What is the quote Mr. McMichael says at that point? 
Uh, quoting Mr. McMichael, he says, you know, not that I recall. I don't think the guy has actually stolen anything out of there. Or if he did, it was it was early on in this process. Okay, so if he did. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Not knowledge that he did, it's if he did. Yes, ma'am. So we got an if. Plus we've got an I don't think the guy's actually stolen anything out of there. Yes, ma'am. All right. And then he says he keeps going back over there, and then he goes, plus we've had numerous entering autos. And then that's when he says, this guy would be a prime suspect. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so now we've got prime suspect. All right. Once again, Mr. McMichael's talking about that my son had a missing pistol. I'm pretty certain this guy, well, I don't know for a fact, and I have no reason to think that he did it. Is that what he said? Um, yes, ma'am. So he doesn't know this for a fact and has no reason to believe he did it with regard to the missing pistol. So in contrast to what Mr. Sheffield put up, we've got probability, maybe, possibility, hunch, logic, intuition, speculation, and if. These yes, are all the things he's telling you. Yes, ma'am. All right. Franklin Hogue does his best to rehabilitate the interpretation of Greg McMichael's statements in his recross. Well, so when the state just went through words with you, like logic, possibility, hunch, intuition, they left out lead. You also told in your interview with Mr. McMichael that you thought it could be a lead, that he had a hunch and you called it a lead and he agreed with you. You remember that? Yes, sir. Okay. And if, and I don't think, and so forth. Um, he also told you, did he not, that he was certain about some things, like he, t he was telling you, I think there's other houses that they're pretty certain this guy's broken into. Certain, they're, the guy he's talking about is Ahmaud Arbery, right? I think there's other houses that they're pretty sure this, this guy being a Mr. Arbery Yes, sir. Okay. And he called him a prime suspect at one point. Yes, sir. All right. And a suspect would be basically somebody you suspect of having committed crimes, right? Yes, sir. All right. Thank you, sir. That's all I have. That concludes this episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery. Join us on our next episode as we continue our examination of the state of Georgia's case against Travis and Greg McMichael and William Roddy Bryan. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. You can find more information about this trial at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created, produced, and hosted by yours truly, Carrie Antholis. Our consulting producer is Paul Butler. It was co-produced and edited by Chris Tarico. Music was provided by Strike Audio. 
Trial Audio is courtesy of Law and Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty, The Killing of Ahmaud Arbery.